I wanted to start off this morning, we've been looking at uh, the kingdom uh, lifestyle, and we've looked at several different aspects of this, and this, this week we're going to look at kingdom preparation. And uh, Brother Dale read for us our text this morning, and I want you all to really kind of think along the lines of what it is that we are learning, what it is that we're going to. So go ahead and open up, if you would, to Matthew chapter uh, 25 just to kind of keep us in the same spot as we're making our way through. But I want to ask you this. Have you ever been guilty of putting things off until later only to never get around to it? Have you ever done that before? Uh, I, I find that procrastination is one of the easiest traps to fall prey to. Uh, I remember as a young single man heading home for Christmas, many a, many a Christmas, I, I, I lived on my own, I did my own thing, I had my own schedule, I had my own life, and I'd be driving home uh, and stop at whatever Walmart was on the way to hurry up and buy my Christmas gifts before I reached West Virginia. Uh, and, and there's not a man, there's not a, a married man around who has never said, hey, did we get mom anything this year? You know, you've been there. We've all put those things off. We've all uh, uh, kind of uh, let those days uh, get, uh, catch up to us. Uh, sometimes uh, maybe we put things off like uh, maybe a chore that we don't like. Uh, perhaps there's a chore that you really don't enjoy and you just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of yard work. I'll be honest. I'm just, I'm not. Some of you guys can go out and you just enjoy working in the lawn. You enjoy mowing. You enjoy, uh, you know, you go out there with your turf builder stuff and you, and you, you know, you keep it all green. I just want the fastest lawn mower I can buy so that I can get it done. I get out, I get, just, let's just knock it out. And then the, the thing that I really struggle with is weed eating. Who just enjoys weed eating does anybody just you enjoy weeding i'll pray for you i will pray for you that is just there's that's not normal to just enjoy and i've got a ditch line and and that ditch line has to be weed eated because you can't drive i have driven the zero turn down into it that was an accident but you're not supposed to do that but you know you got to get down there with the weed eater and you just got to you just got to go at it, and it's it's long, it's arduous, and of course, I put that off until I can't see around the corner, and then it's time, I know it's time to weed eat, but you put things off, and we procrastinate, and, and we leave things uh, till later, but sometimes we just never never get it done. You know, your, your wife says, we've got company coming over, that ditch line looks horrible, can you take care of that? And so you hurriedly take care of that, and then have to explain to your company why you smell like gas and grass. You know, when they finally get there, well, I just finished it. You know, I don't think I'm the only one who procrastinates. I'm sure that other people struggle with this same thing. Uh, I had a Sunday school teacher years ago uh, that was always asking me, said, uh, you know, I, I, I need help with, with my lessons. The kids just, I can't get the kids engaged. And I said, okay, well, tell me about your preparation with the Sunday school curriculum. How, 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 what is your typical uh, approach to the curriculum? And he said, well, usually Saturday night, I'll sit down with the book. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> You're trying to rush into it and, and, and you put it off. You know, how many times uh, uh, do we maybe go on a trip? If you're anything like my wife, she likes to pack for a trip like days or weeks ahead of schedule. And I'll be walking around trying to find something, and I'm like, hey, do, do you know where this is? Yes, it's already packed. It's ready to go. Well, I kind of need it. Well, if you take it out and you forget it, that's on you. I guess I don't need it. 
I'll, I'll forget it. Or you, you leave town and you get halfway there before you realize that you left the cell phone charger and now you got to stop. You got 85 cell phone chargers because of all the extras that you've bought through the years. There, there are things that we allow ourselves to procrastinate and we put off. And sometimes they're actually pretty monumental deals. Like perhaps we did not plan well in advance, and maybe it's not a procrastination as much as just a failure to plan. And we have financial things that we run into through our lives, and we, we kind of get hit out of the blue. We, we need to come up with uh, uh, money to replace the water heater, or we need to come up with money to replace the roof, which we knew because a roof only has about a 20 to 30 year at best, really only about a 20 to 25 year life expectancy. And if we knew when the roof was put on, then we have a good idea when we should be ready to repair it. You know, a, a, a water heater has about a 10 year life expectancy at best. You know, the, the, the way things are going today, we know that that's not necessarily the case. But if you're anything like me, you've had a, a water heater that maybe lasted 15 years, and you're like, woohoo, I can keep putting off saving up for that new water heater. You see, we, we put things off, but then we end up falling short on our finances, or maybe a project at work is due, and we've put it off and put it off and put it off, and we find ourselves in hot water. Today, we're going to look at one specific lack of preparation that costs dearly. It costs dearly. I want you to look with me uh, at chapter 25, verse, uh, verse number 1. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, I want you to just pause for a minute before we go any further with this. Because I think it's very important that we understand what's going to take place and how it's going to work. And I want us to understand what it is that God is trying to call to our attention in this. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the way it's going to look, what it's like. And if you're anything like me, maybe you've struggled with the whole idea of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven is a literal kingdom, right? Yes. But it's a figurative kingdom, right? Yes. Well, how can it be both? There is a literal aspect to it, but there's also the, the unseen. It's not necessarily figurative as in it doesn't belong, but there's an unseen aspect to it that is seen when we live a certain way and we reside in our hearts the way we ought to as kingdom citizens. And so let's look at the historical picture of this uh, before we go any further. Uh, take a look at, at, at what's being said here. It says in verse number two, five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Stand with me if you would now and go back to Matthew chapter seven. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. Jump back to Matthew now chapter seven. Keeping your hand in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 7. Drop down to verse uh, 19, please. Matthew 7 verse 19 says, Every tree that bringeth, forth not, bringeth not forth fruit, good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Gracious God and Savior, apply your word to our lives in a way that only you can. And we trust, Lord, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, so that we may be able to be made perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's an interesting aspect of this where Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew uh, uh, chapter 25 really kind of communicate well with one another. I want you to note what's going on from a historical understanding. The wedding that was, that's being talked about here, talked about these, uh, uh, these ten virgins, uh, five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. They were out and they were uh, uh, waiting for the bridegroom to come. Now, sometimes people get into their mind, it's like a harem type of a situation. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, It's important for us to understand the history, the tradition uh, that was and in some parts of Palestine today even still holds a little bit of a, uh, of a sway in the way they go about their, uh, their weddings. Uh, the groom would go and make ready his home, uh, a place of his own. Sometimes he would do this in his father's dwelling place, but he would go and he would prepare the, himself a, a place for him and his bride to go to. And it wasn't until that was all finished uh, that he would go and collect his bride uh, for the, the uh, celebration. And he would have sort of, a, I guess you could look at it like a, uh, like a bachelor's party or something along those lines. But basically, he would get a lot of his guys together and a lot of his people and even the, the bride's wa- uh, mother, the bride's wife, that would be bad. The bride's mother uh, would come and even be a help to him as well. And she would bring all of the bride's clothes and all of her belongings over to the new place where it could all be set up. And it would take them uh, a good long while. They would get everything uh, in order and the house was ready to go. And it wasn't until that would take place uh, that all this was going on, uh, the the bride would be actually off uh, at her parents' house with her bridesmaids, uh, and they would be preparing. She'd be getting herself all dolled up for the special day, you know. And and the the mother has already delivered everything over, but once the groom had the place prepared, the wedding march would begin. And many times they would take the longest route possible so that they could have the most celebration and well-wishers possible for their wedding. And there would always be someone preceding who would be uh, calling out, the bridegroom comes, the bridegroom's on his way, everybody pay attention, and people would flood the streets and watch and celebrate and give well-wishes, give gifts, and they would uh, go through this procession as the groom made his way to go retrieve his bride. Once he retrieved her, then he would continue the procession around and he would make his way back to his new home where he would, uh, he would take his bride in and everybody that had kind of met them along the way would come in as well. And they didn't go on uh, uh, the uh, uh, honeymoons like we do today. They didn't do that. 
for a whole week they would stay at their home and their family and friends would come, bring them gifts, bring them uh, uh, encouragements, give them congratulations. A lot of people are like, no, I'll take the honeymoon. Everybody else can stay away. Hey, if you're anything like I was, I, look, I, I, I was not wanting anybody else there. Once I said I do, I said let's go. When, when this was all taking place, everybody would, once the procession was done and they made it back to the place, the doors were shut and the party started. And the celebration would sometimes go for a week at a time, maybe even more. But you had to get there when it started. It wasn't one of these situations where you could come late and go, oh, <laughs> Johnny's getting married. We got to go. Let's, you know, he's probably already started, but that's okay. We'll get there late and still get some lamb. Wasn't the way it worked. If you wanted to be there for the celebration, you needed to be on the street ready to go. You needed to be watching and attentive. And as that procession came, you just got in the line with them. You missed it, you missed it. There was no do-overs. You don't get a mulligan. These, these young maids, these virgins would stand on the streets in hopes of getting to join the procession. And they would always be, there would always be one person that was making his way through to kind of roust everybody because you didn't know when it was going to happen. You just knew it was coming. But you weren't sure when. Sometimes in, in certain parts, it was actually a fun game for the wedding party to not start until the middle of the night. Let's get this going. We're waking everybody up on the way, and we're just having a good time. A lot of times, even to this day, in certain parts of the world, they still practice this. So now that we kind of understand the historical picture of the groom collecting his bride, it was, a, excuse me, it was an indication that the festivities were beginning and your only chance to become part of the celebration. Your only chance. When the bridegroom came to collect his bride and made his way around to take her home, your only opportunity if you wanted to be part of that celebration. So getting a good picture, a good historical picture uh, is important to us. Once the party had started, the gates would be locked because they didn't want to allow party crashers in. Low-late admission was allowed. So let's look at the direct interpretation of what's going on. Go back here to chapter 25 and you see what was happening here. Well, the bridegroom, uh, uh, the wives took uh, oil in their vessels with their lamps. Look at verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Here's that herald making his way through the, uh, through the streets, yelling, The bridegroom's coming. The bridegroom's coming. Everybody get ready to meet him. The bridegroom's on his way. He's just down the street a little bit. He's making his way around the corner. Everybody get ready. Interesting thing happens, though. It says, Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, 
lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Some of the loneliest and saddest words in all of Scripture are found right there. I want you to just think about it for a moment. How would you like to be trying to go somewhere, knocking at the door to hear, you're not welcome, I don't know you. These are some of the loneliest words that you'll ever read in Scripture. The direct interpretation of this, it's important for us to note uh, that, there, uh, that this is a warning uh, to the Jews who will, um, who will be around during that time of tribulation. Uh, what will their preparedness look like when the bridegroom, Jesus, comes to collect his bride, the church? Uh, will they be prepared or will they be left out in the dark? And, and for a little bit of a, a, con, a contextual reference to this, if you go back into chapter 24, you'll see uh, that chapter 24 actually uh, uh, talks about the latter days. Uh, people will argue over whether the tribulation period will be post, mid, or, or pre. Uh, listen, that's, that's all smokescreen. Let's just, uh, let's not worry about that at the moment, Okay. So before we go down the road of, well, is, is the rapture going to take place before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, and, and, or at the end of the tribulation, or is there even a rapture? That's Just stop. It's not the focus of the passage. It's not the focus. I want us to note a few things in this. If you look at... Uh, um, uh, chapter 24, it all talks about the end, what, what's going to come at the end times. Uh, if you look at, uh, say, verse uh, 29, chapter 24, four, verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall uh, not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the uh, heavens shall be shaken, and, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, uh, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds uh, of heaven with uh, power and great glory. Uh, it goes uh, through the coming of the Son of Man. It's actually a direct reference to not only Joel chapter 2, but all also, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 7's prophecy of, the, uh, of Jehovah God coming as the Son of Man. And this name here, Son of Man, was actually a bigger deal to many of those uh, in that day than God, uh, Jesus referring to himself as the Son of God. Because a lot of people refer to themselves as sons of God. And so, but when Jesus said, I am the son of man, when he claimed the title son of man, he was claiming what was going on back here in Daniel chapter 7, where, the, where God was going to descend as the son of man and establish his kingdom. Go back to Daniel chapter 7 so that you can see this with me. Daniel chapter 7. And look with me at uh, verse number 9. Daniel 7 verse 9 says, And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the, uh, uh, the hair of his he uh, head was uh, like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wills as burning fire. Verse 10, A fiery stream ensued, 
and came forth from him thousands, thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, uh, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, uh, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, uh, they uh, had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season uh, for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given, unto, uh, given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Here's the Son of Man. The one that the ancient of days is going to give authority and dominion and power and a kingdom to. And Jesus is referring to that over here in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. In, 36 through, in chapter 24 verses 36 through 44, there's reference to being ready for you know not the hour. He says, don't delay. If you were to look at uh, uh, verses 45 through 51 of, of Matthew chapter 24, it tells of the faithful and unfaithful servants. Now remember that the book of Matthew is written by a Jew and, and it's kind of written to the Jew. And uh, uh, quite often it's referred to as a kingdom book. And so this is important to realize because there are references to servants and this is not necessarily talking about those who are born again by the Spirit of God. It's talking about the servants of God, the Israelite people. And so, uh, so many times people will come to a passage such as this and say, okay, so he's talking about servants. That means saved people. And then how some of the saved people are going to be, uh, uh, be left behind and some of them are going to be taken. No, that's not correct. He's talking about those who are uh, the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, and what's going to take place in these latter days. And he says some of them are going to be found faithful and some of them are going to be found unfaithful. And then he gets into the ten virgins. You see, the direct interpretation, understand that while there is one interpretation, there are many applications of a given passage. And all Scripture is profitable for our edification and exhortation. All Scripture is profitable. So it's important for us to understand the actual direct interpretation, but then now it's time to make application. Many have attempted to attach to this uh, 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 attach this exact thing to the church and how it's a reference to the church. It, it's not. It's applicable to the church, but it is a direct it, it is a direct uh, interpretation as far as uh, being applicable to uh, the people of Israel. However, while that one interpretation is seen, there are many applications that we can take from this, and there's a specific one, uh, specific interpretation. But now let's take a look at just a few practical applications that we can draw from this. So how do we apply it to ourselves? Going back into Matthew chapter 25, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, I want it to be pointed out 
that the focus of this passage, the primary focus of this passage is the groom. That's the primary focus. The primary focus, so many have lost focus of it. They look at the at heaven and the streets of gold and the mansions and the life without pain. Understand this, the kingdom life is about celebrating the groom, Jesus. That's the kingdom life. It's not a matter of, well, my mansion's going to look like this and my mansion's going to look like that. And one of these days I'm going to be walking on streets of gold and I'm going to be without pain. Look, those are all byproducts. It's a celebration of Jesus. That's the focus of this passage. That's the focus of what we've gotten before us here. The primary focus is not the bride. The primary focus is not the virgins. The primary focus is not the, uh, the party. The primary focus is the bridegroom. That's the focus. That's where we need to put ourselves. It's, it's preparation for the bridegroom, not the bride. If you'll notice in this passage, the bride isn't even mentioned. Now, I know that that's stings in today's day and culture because the wedding's all about the bride. All about the bride. Not this wedding. Not this wedding. If it's all about the bride, then the bride becomes God and we have dethroned the groom. Now, I, I, I understand the practical in all this. I, I get that. Um, when I perform a wedding, I give the bride a form to fill out. She's got a full-on form. And I say, I want to know who's doing what, when you want it, what songs you want, at what point you want the songs. I want this, and I, I go by that form. And on the day of the, uh, uh, the wedding and on the day of the uh, uh, rehearsal, I have that form. And that is, that is law. And no mama or mama-in-law can change that law. And I do not deviate. And I'll let them know ahead of time, look, whatever you put on that paper is what I'm going by. And if your mama gets mad at me for that, that's on you. You just let her know. If you want something changed, you tell me. I will not change. And you say, well, you know, she didn't really want it that way. She wanted it this way. It's not what she said on here. Well, I, we were talking. Good. Tell her to call me. I'm not changing it. I've, I've been in that hot water. Ain't going to happen again. If, if mama wants another wedding, she can have another wedding. This is hers. And that's where I stay. So I understand all that. But I want us to understand something. In this right here, the bride is not the focus Let's, let's, let's realign our focus on this. Even though these young virgins were hoping to accompany the wedding party, it was still the groom that is the focus. It is important to note this right off the bat. No mention at all of the bride. As we continue to look through what we have before us here, one application that we really kind of need to draw ourselves back to is so many people have lost the focus when it comes to the coming day. Their focus is on the streets of gold. Their focus is on the mansions. Their focus is on the, uh, the lack of pain. Look, I get it. Those cold mornings, that first step down the stairs. Oh, my knees. Oh, my knees. I get it. I get it. I'm looking forward to no more pain either. But you know what? What if the pain was still there? 
but you get to spend eternity with Jesus? What if the streets weren't gold, but you still get to spend time with Jesus? What if instead of a mansion, it was a tiki hut and 120 degree weather, but you get to be with Jesus? What if it was a little lean-to in the desert? Or what if it was an igloo, but you get to spend time with Jesus? There's the focus. If you're willing to give up Jesus, if you find out heaven's not what you want it to be, you don't know Jesus. Plain and simple. We've got to get our focus back. And it, you know, and it's, it's, it's prevalent. I, I want you to, I, I took, a, took the liberty of just printing off a couple songs here. And I want you to think about the focus on these songs. I'm satisfied with a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold, but in that city where the ransomed will shine, I want a gold one that's silver lined. Though often tempted, tormented, and tested, and like a prophet, my pillow's a stone, and though I find here no permanent dwelling, I know he'll give me a mansion my own. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. But I'm a pilgrim in search of the city. I want a mansion, a harp, and a crown. No mention of Jesus other than the fact that he's given him a mansion. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. No, I've got Jesus. I don't need that mansion. Now compare that with this one. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Do you see the focus? Do you see that? But so many in, in Christendom get themselves lost in, in the mix of it all. And they, they, they take their eyes and their focus off the groom. And they put it on the effects of the groom. I don't really want to go to the wedding. I don't really care about the groom or anything like that. I just want the fried chicken that's going to come with it. That's the mansion. That's the mansion. You know, I didn't get a piece of cake on our wedding day. I was a little perturbed, to be honest with you. She spent hours tasting cakes. I was working like a dog. I didn't get to go taste cakes. But she told me about it. And apparently, it's an experience. So if y'all ever get married, don't work on the day she's going to taste cakes. Just putting it out there. We come to our wedding day, and it was, you know, it's the time where you're supposed to smush the cake in their face, right? You know, that, that part of it. 
And we had decided, you know, I, I, we're not going to do that. We're going to have fun. So she smushed it in her bridesmaid's face, and I smushed it in my best man's face, and, and that was fun. That was going to be the only piece of cake I got to eat, and I smushed it in somebody else's face. And then the rest of the night, here we are hobnobbing with people. I didn't get to taste our cake until our first anniversary. I, uh, I was a little frustrated, to be honest with you. I, I didn't get a piece of cake. I hope my mama saved me a piece of cake. Nope, she didn't save me a piece of cake either. Nobody saved me a piece of cake. You see, I wasn't worried about the cake. I had what I came for. I had all I needed. Do you have all you need? Do you have all you want? Or is the gold, the silver, and the extra stuff what you're hoping for? The secondary focus, the kingdom life is about a personal, intimate walk with Jesus. The kingdom citizen embraces this walk and guards it well. Guards it well. I want you to notice that this secondary focus of the passage uh, is the lack of the preparation or the preparation, depending on which of the, of the virgins you're looking at. While, while we uh, have already not acknowledged that this is in reference to the Jewish people in the latter days, we too can gain application from this. Knox, uh, John Knox notes of this, uh, the statement that the girls grew drowsy and fell asleep is not a recrimination, but to point out the truth that when they were eventually roused, there was no time for them to do anything but refuel their lamps. I want us to understand something. These ten virgins, all ten, had a light. All ten of them did. But five of them, their light was precious to them. The other five felt they'd wing it. The wise five made sure that they had plenty. The foolish five weren't worried about it. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Beloved, are you putting off until tomorrow preparation of your heart? Are you sleeping through this, uh, this, uh, the, this Christian life? Are you getting lazy? Or are, you, or are you waiting around believing that you'll have more than enough time later? Realize something. No questions about it. There's coming a day when the bridegroom will come and you'll either be able to get in or you're going to be left out. Are you waiting around for salvation? Well, I'll take care of that another day. I've still got a few questions I need answered. I'll put that off until another time. Are, are, you, are you waiting around and then here's, here comes the, the call, the bridegroom comes and it's time to go on up and you get up and you want to trim your, uh, trim your wick. You're wanting to get everything ready to go, but you, you found out I don't have what I need to have. I don't have what's, what's required. I can't light my lamp and now I'm out. And you're going to try to clean. You're going to try to hold on to somebody else. Wait a minute. Let, let me have some of your oil. And the ones that were wise and prepared said, I can't give you mine. You have to get your own. Are you putting off salvation? Are you putting off sanctification? 
Are you putting off introducing your children to Christian teaching? Are you putting off rooting out a certain sin in your life? Are you putting off uh, getting to know Christ, the Christ that loved you all the way to the cross and getting to know him better? You see, the wise virgins refused the request from the uh, foolish ones. And at first glimpse, this may seem selfish, but this is not selfish. It's just not possible. The, the idea was that if I give you some of this oil, you don't know how far away the groom still is. You just know the herald is keeping time. But the groom could have gotten hung up a little bit more talking to some of these well-wishers along the road and you give them some of your oil and then you're going to be left out in the cold. That was the whole point of it. And so it's not a matter of being selfish. It's I need to make sure I am right and I need to ensure that I am covered and if I'm not covered, I have no business helping you get covered. Like you go on an airplane trip across the, uh, across the, the ocean, and they'll tell you if a, uh, well, they'll actually tell you this regardless, but they'll talk to you about the uh, air masks coming down. And they say, if that happens, put yours on first before you help someone else. That's what they're doing. And so they say, go out and find your own. The lesson at hand is that everyone is responsible for their own spirituality. It is not your mother or your father's spirituality that can get you, uh, get you into heaven. It is not your spouse's spirituality that will make you a closer person with God. It is yours. Are you working on it? Are you focused on it? What if the wise did give some? And the groom tarried a little bit longer, and they were without. Understand, it's not the church's responsibility to ensure you are prepared. It is your responsibility. It is the church's responsibility to give you everything that we can to help you prepare. But the kingdom life is a personal, intimate walk. Many feign privacy with their Christian walk because they are embarrassed of how little time uh, they actually spend. But the kingdom citizen embraces this walk just as the wise virgins embraced their oil for fear that they would not have enough. I am my Savior's and He is mine. So many people are too busy trying to help everybody else that they never focus on their own spirituality. Finally, once time runs out, here's the third focus, the final focus. Once time runs out, that's all. You see, the kingdom life is a lifestyle that pursues the heart of God and never assumes anything but ensures their relationship is fixed. Once time runs out, beloved, you will not have a second chance. There's a false doctrine going around that after death, we get one more opportunity. That's not true. It's not. So it's either now or take the chance of not at all. Back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, 
it's very reminiscent of what's being said here. Matthew chapter 7. Look what he says. Look at uh, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? These are Sunday school teachers. These are preachers. Ministry leads. We've done great things. Verse 23, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Never knew you. Over here in Matthew chapter 25, verse 11, he says, Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. I know you not. Beloved, are you sure of your relationship with God? Are you sure? Certain that you know Him and that He knows you. I didn't say, do you know about him? Do you know him? Many get to the point where they say that they have learned enough about the Bible. Some say that they've read enough. They claim uh, they have done enough. Woe unto that person. Be certain of your relationship with the Lord, but not only of your relationship with the Lord. Ask yourself, do you thirst for God or have you grown sleepy? Do you thirst and hunger for the things of God? Or is what you have enough? It's good enough. I've, I've, I've gone to church for so long, preacher. I've gone to church longer than you've been alive. I, I, I've read the Bible probably more times than you have. I, I've read it enough. I've studied it enough. I've prayed enough. Matter, matter of fact, you know, once upon a time, I had a prayer life that was so great and a, and a study life that was so... Preacher, you have no idea what I have done. I'm not asking about what you've done. I'm asking, do you still hunger for it? Are you in danger of running short on the oil? Well, pastor, once upon a time, I prayed a prayer, so I'm good to go. I don't have to worry about that stuff. I prayed a prayer. Beloved, you may be a quart short of enough oil. And third, are you prepared or will you be left out? This is serious business, folks. This is not to be goofing around with. Psalm 63, 1 through 4, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can you say that? Do you thirst and do you hunger? Have you given him your life? 
See, we as a church, how can we look at it? How can we apply this? As a church, we must be preparing others. This is not just uh, telling them about how to get saved and how to pray a prayer. No, 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 no. We must be preaching uh, and, and make ourselves the primary focus, the preaching of the word of God. That is our priority. This church has always stood on the primacy of Scripture. Always. The most important thing is the word of God. The most important thing is this doctrinal teaching. And we as a church must be about this business. We preach Christ. So, beloved, have you given your life to him? I'm not just talking about have you prayed a prayer once upon a time. I'm asking, have you given your life to Jesus? Your very life, your existence. Have you given that to him? Have you, have you given him everything and surrendered it all to him? If not, you might have gotten your lamp but you're not taking any oil. Beloved, don't put off and don't fail to prepare in the area of salvation. Don't put off salvation. Don't put off your sanctification. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Don't put off the prayer time that he wants so desperately to spend with you. Don't put off the time in the word where God can teach you and minister to your soul. But as I said, the focus of this passage was the groom. Don't put off Jesus. Don't put off Jesus. Give him your life this morning. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Give it all to him. And let him do amazing things for you. Father, we come before you once more, Lord. And this morning we are placing ourselves in your hands. Father, we hear the the call of the herald shouting out that the bridegroom, bridegroom is coming. We hear that call. We hear it loud and clear. Your word spells it out for us. It is happening. The bridegroom is coming. We are in a latter day than we've ever existed in. And we've come to this very place. And we know, Lord, time is short. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know for certain that we're going to have another opportunity. This may be the very last opportunity that we have to get our oil, to make sure our lamps are able to be lit. Father, there may be some who are left outside because they put off till tomorrow what they needed to address today. And so, Lord, would you work in hearts today, Father, that as we sing this next song, Lord, you would convict souls. Someone needs to trust Christ as Savior. Or someone perhaps needs to uh, quit dabbling in sin and give it up and give it over to you. And commit themselves to a prayer life and to a, a study life. 
So, Father, would you work in our hearts this morning? Convict where we need it and call us unto you. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen.